Well, good morning, and good morning to those who are visiting with us. Always, always a joy to have uh, folks uh, visit our assembly. As you can tell, we're just a, a small group of people, but uh, it's always a blessing. And even if we had 100 people here, it would still be a blessing to have folks join us uh, while they're either here on vacation or whatever the case may be. Uh, and so we thank you for those who are visiting with us. We're going to be continuing in Ephesians chapter 5, um, actually into chapter 6 at this point. But before we do, I do also want to share a little testimony um, and a prayer request along with that testimony. As, as many of you are aware, um, ever since before the primary last year, there's been a group of people meeting in Plymouth uh, doing a flag wave, what we call a flag wave. Initially, it was to support uh, Donald Trump uh, and America. Uh, and, of course, after the election, there were folks that decided that they would like to continue the flag wave uh, to support our nation, to support our Constitution. And it's, it's been a blessing. Some of the people are saved, other believers, and many are not. But it's been a blessing to participate with that flag wave and to... My wife's giving me motions. What's wrong? Oh, okay. But I haven't even gotten into the hot message yet. She's still already fanning herself. Anyway, it's been a blessing to participate with that. God's given me a number of opportunities throughout almost a year now to bring his name into conversation, to quote verses, um, to let people know that, I, I have a, that I'm a Christian and that I do have uh, uh, various convictions as a believer. Well, I say all that, and, and this is the prayer request to go with it. About a month ago, a, a lady showed up with a flag that is an abomination to the Lord, uh, and that is the rainbow flag, or represents LGBTQ. And those of us who are believers were very bothered by that. The prayer request, and I will, I will praise the Lord. Um, one week, I stayed for a short time. She brought the flag out. I left. Uh, a week ago, I explained to her if she's going to uh, display that flag, and I very clearly said, I have a, I'm a Christian, I have Christian convictions. And that flag is, that represents something that is a total abomination to God. And I explained that to her, and I explained that to some other folks, and, and said that I cannot continue to participate if that flag will be displayed. Well, this week, uh, she showed up, and she did not display the flag, and I personally thanked her for it. But then she responded, well... I'm still going to fly that flag, but I'm getting a different one that won't be as offensive, or smaller one, whatever the case may be. I said, well, I don't care how small it is. If that flag is going to be displayed, I cannot participate. So the, the prayer request would be, and I have explained that very gently to some of the other folks, and the prayer request would be that perhaps she will decide she will not display that flag. Again, that that. That has nothing to do with the purpose of our flag wave. The purpose of our flag wave is to sow support for our nation, to sow support for our Constitution. Uh, many people still fly the Trump flag. Um, and only God knows what's going to happen in the future, in the next months or years of this nation. Perhaps Donald Trump will become president again. We don't know. Uh, but I feel that God did put him in there. I don't know that Donald Trump is a believer but I believe God put him in there, and I believe that man truly loved this nation and truly wanted to see God's 
best for our nation. So just pray for wisdom for me. Uh, if I attend, if I start to attend the flag wave and, and, and this lady brings that flag out and displays it, I will very graciously just uh, uh, remove myself from that flag wave. Uh, as, my, as a Christian with my convictions, I cannot participate in something that is being displayed that is an abomination to God. And the other folks I've explained that to, they understand my stand. Uh, they understand my stand. All right, let's get into the scriptures. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6. Last week we got through verses uh, 1, 2, and 3 of chapter 6. Now again, <clears throat> as we continue on with this, uh, I've been, as during the times I've been speaking, uh, I've been uh, going through the book of Ephesians. It's probably been well over a year uh, at this point that I've been going through the book of Ephesians. But uh, just to review a little bit, Paul was the writer uh, of this book, this letter to the church at Ephesus, as he was with many of the epistles, we call them the letters in the New Testament. Paul, at the time of writing this, was in prison uh, in Rome, and he was in prison because he had been told to stop preaching the gospel, and obviously Paul was not going to stop preaching the gospel. All right, he had become aware of some, I would call them sin issues, within the church of Ephesus, through some messenger that brought information to him, and as a result felt it was necessary to write this letter uh, to encourage those believers in Ephesus concerning these problems among themselves. And that's what he has dealt with throughout the book. <coughs> Here in chapter 6, he deals with the, um, he starts off with uh, the, uh, the necessity of children obeying their parents the necessity of fathers not provoking their children to wrath. And then he goes into uh, the uh, relationship between a servant uh, and his master, or we could even bring that to today, between an employee and an employer. And I'm not sure how far we will get. I want to pick it up in chapter 6, verse 1. Previously to that, in chapter 5, uh, he looks at the responsibility of wives and submission to their husbands. He looked at the responsibility of husbands uh, in the care of their wife. And now in, in chapter 6, he, get, he got into children being obedient to their parents and uh, the necessity of a father to discipline their child properly so that the child would have the desire to be obedient to their parents. So uh, this morning I'm going to read. I'm going to start with verse one once again, which we did cover last week. I'm going to read down through verse nine, and uh, I think we'll get a little further than that. But verse ten uh, down to verse seventeen goes into uh, Paul giving an overall challenge to believers on Ephesus concerning the whole armor of God. And whether we'll get into that today or not, I'm not sure. Um, but um, we'll read down through verse 9, ask God's blessing upon uh, his word, and, and then get into the message uh, of the day. So starting in verse 1 of chapter 6 of Ephesians. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. 
Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of your heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And ye masters, do the same things unto them, forbearing threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven. Neither is there respect of persons with him. Let's ask the Lord for his blessing upon his word. Lord, once again, we do thank you that you saw fit to include these letters that you had Paul, great servant of yours, write while he was in prison there in Rome to encourage the believers of his day to give them instruction concerning what you have to say about sin and about getting, and about getting victory over sin. And Lord, you saw fit in your marvelous grace and mercy to include that as a part of your word, a part of the Bible, that it would not only be beneficial to the believers at the church of Ephesus, but that it would be beneficial to believers from that day until day until this day and into the future. So Lord, we thank you for the instruction that we see here from your word. And even though it's divided into categories, such as wives, such as husbands, such as children, such as fathers, such as masters or employers and servants or employees. Lord, we know that even though it's divided into those categories, there's instruction for all of us to receive out of each one of these categories. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. And again, I pray that you'll speak through me, how help my words to be accurate uh, as I communicate this through this message this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, much of the information that I get in studying for this, I've mentioned in the past, it's out of a, a Bible study that Rand Hummel had done some years ago called In Christ, and I, I will be quoting a few things out of that Bible study. And then the other main commentary I use is Albert Barnes, Barnes Notes, um, on the book of Ephesians. So um, I may be quoting out of each one of those as we go through this. But first of all, uh, just a little bit of review. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this and right. And that, that phrase, in the Lord, just a little bit of a reminder. Basically what that means is if a parent asks their child to do something that is in opposition to the teaching of God, then that child spiritually and biblically has the right not to be obedient to their parent. Now, Tim, don't you get any ideas? Okay. Or Sarah. All right. So that's what the, the phrase in the Lord means. If a, if a parent gives a child instruction and that instruction uh, lines up with what God's instruction is, then this, the child needs to be obedient to that instruction. So that's just, again, a little bit of a review. Um, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Part of obeying their parents, verse 2, honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. All right, A child is to respect their parents as we, as the children of God, 
if we are truly born again, needs to respect God as our heavenly father. And so that's what we see Paul instructing here. What does it mean to honor thy father and thy mother? What does it mean to honor thy father and my mother? We looked at this last week, and Paul goes on to say it it is the fifth commandment. Um, Honor is an attitude to esteem, to treat with respect and dignity, or to value highly. A bad attitude towards the parent's instruction would be dishonor, such as talking back, such as arguing, such as pouting, such as pitching a fit, and so on. Now, I don't remember, I don't think any of us ever, as children, ever did that. Uh, This summer when Sarah and I came back from Elko, Nevada, visiting our family out there, and we were in one airport, and um, there was a child, literally. Uh, his parent was in a, his father was in, a, in one of the restaurants in the airport ordering food or whatever. And there was this child, a boy, that was probably six, seven, maybe eight years old, literally laying on the floor in the corridor, kicking their feet on the floor. I wanted to go down and pick that child up and discipline him, but it was not my place. And this went on for several minutes before the father, obviously waiting in line to order what he wanted to, came out and got that child. And that's just, that's just one example. I, I have no idea what the pro- child's problem was. But that's what a child is not to do. A Christian child is not to do that's dishonoring the parent. Do we as God's children ever dishonor him? The answer is yes. We do. Every time we sin, every time we disobey, we're dishonoring God as our Heavenly Father. Obviously, we need to be careful about that. I would like to say, well, you can never sin. Well, that's impossible. We are human beings, we have weaknesses, and we are going to fail. Just like a child will never do something that makes a parent unhappy. All right, children will. Children will. All right, and uh, even though I'm an adult, I hope I don't do anything to make my 95-year-old mother unhappy, but I may still. Anyway, but the whole thought here, in being obedient, in honoring our parent, part of it, honoring our parent, is to make that parent happy that you are their child. Okay, we as God's children, our desire needs to be to make God happy that we are his child. Okay, how do we do that? By constantly seeking to live a life pleasing to God. By constantly endeavoring to live a life that is as sin-free as possible. And then Paul goes on in verse 3, That it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. That was the promise in the commandment, uh, what he calls the fifth commandment with promise. By the way, this honor thy father and mother is one of the ten commandments that we see uh, back in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12. One of the ten commandments that God had given to the Israelite nation, to the Jewish people. All right, let's go on. Fathers, provoke not, and ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Let's stop there. What is wrath? Anger. 
A father should never discipline their child. Or a mother. Now, this is specifically speaking to fathers, but we as parents. We should never discipline our child in a way that would cause that child to have wrath, to be angry. Now, again, as children, sometimes we don't like discipline at all. As God's children, sometimes we don't like to be disciplined by God. But the whole thought is here, fathers, as you discipline your child, you need to do it in a way that that child understands that what they did was wrong and that they should have a desire to do right. Okay. Now, another thought concerning fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. A father is the head of the family. We know this. This command falls first on him. All right, children need to obey, but fathers, you have a responsibility. Don't discipline in a way that your child is going to become angry. All right, the command of a the commands of a parent must be easily obeyed, completely reasonable and proper, or God honoring. For example, you could never give a child a command that that child could not fulfill. Um, I'll, I'll throw out an example. We in, who, who live here in New England, who live in older houses, in the wintertime, uh, as the snow melts up on your roof, it creates an ice dam. All right? And that ice dam, sometimes if it builds up high enough, will cause leakage within your house. Why am I using that as an illustration? Well, I'm using that as an illustration that a father should never say to his three-year-old son, go up on the roof and take that ice dam off. All right, that would be unreasonable, okay? He might say that to his 14-year-old son, 15-year-old. That would not be unreasonable, all right? So in our teaching of our children, we need to consider, are we giving a command or are we disciplining in a way that is reasonable to that child, all right? That's the responsibility of fathers, to provoke not our children to wrath. And then the next part of that, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And what does that mean? Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And Rand, this is a quote. I'm not going to, there's a couple of things I'm going to read out of here, but this is a quote from Rand. What does it mean to bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the, of the Lord? Rand uses it, the, Rand, Rand, quotes it this way. That means raise your kids and not your voice. You as a father, have you ever, if you look back on your children being young, did you ever raise your voice and discipline your child? All right. This is a quote from Rand. Raise your kids and not your voice. A child can get the message from the parent without that parent raising their voice, okay? So that's how Rand looks at it in this study. Raise your kids and not your voice. Don't tear them down. This is another thing. You've probably all heard a parent at some point say something like this to their child. What's the matter with you? Can't you do anything right? That's not a way to discipline a child. That's tearing them down. Okay, or maybe some other type of a statement that you might have had a, heard a parent 
uh, say to their child. All right? Train up a child in a manner which the Lord approves. Nurture and admonition of the Lord. Train up a child in a way which the Lord approves. In this day and age in our nation, for quite a few years now, it's been frowned upon to spank your child. But what does God's word tell us about that? God's word tells us that that is the proper way of discipline. My mother loved the willow switch. It would really sting. And in using the willow switch, it did not create actual bodily harm, but it did sting. And she would use that switch to get the message across that I did something wrong. Not that I did that often. Um, Don't call my mom, please. (laughs) All right, I was one of seven children, and my mom had her hands full. And right up behind the house, it was a nice grove of willow switches, so she did not lack having what she wanted to discipline us. But anyway, spank that child. It does not physically harm them. Unfortunately, parents today, and I'm talking about non-Christian mostly, unfortunately, parents today will lash out and hit a child that would cause physical harm from time to time. Uh, Where that switch on the backside, yes, it would sting, but it would not cause the physical harm. All right, so again, raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Anytime a Christian parent disciplines a child, that child has to know that their parent is obeying the Lord in that discipline. Uh, in the proper method of disciplining, disciplining, so that the child will learn that obedience to the Lord and obedience to their parent go hand in hand. Okay? Again, there are a lot of unsaved families that will discipline, the parents will discipline their child in the proper way. There are many that do not. And as a result, when that child grows up, that child has learned the wrong kind of discipline. You know, one thing, backing up, fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. If a child detects anger or wrath from his father in disciplining, what is that child learning? An improper way to discipline. That child is learning that it's okay to get angry at your children. Okay? That child is learning the wrong kind, the wrong way to discipline. All right, so... um, yeah, that, that's basically what I have there concerning fathers provoking not your children to wrath. God has to discipline us. He never does it in a way to cause us. We may become angry at him. I was going to say he never does it in a way to cause us to become angry at God. God has to discipline, and yes, maybe we would de- display anger But if we're displaying anger over God's discipline, then we are the one that is in error. We are the one that is in sin. God has to discipline us because he very clearly says 
that when we sin against him, even though Jesus, if we know Jesus is our personal Savior, through the shed blood of Jesus as he hung on that cross for us, even though Jesus has paid the price for that sin, we will suffer, can still suffer consequences for that sin. All right, let's go over to the next category. Service on the job, chapter 5, I mean chapter 6 starting in verse 5. Chapter 6 starting in verse 5. Service on the, I got a heading at the, at the, in my Bible at the beginning of these verses called service on the job. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and signalness of your heart as unto Christ. Jesus took upon himself the form of a slave. Uh, for example, in Philippians chapter 12 and verse 7, we see uh, explained there that Jesus washed the apostles' dirty feet. He took upon him the form of a slave or servant, okay, but a slave. Jesus was setting the example to his apostles. And the example that Jesus was setting was that there should be nothing that we consider too low, too unworthy to do for the Lord. There should be nothing that we consider too unworthy. Now, when you think of servants or slaves and masters, the thought being, as Paul, again, remember, writing to believers in the church of Ephesus, the thought being that there were believers at Ephesus that had slaves or servants that they had control of over. Okay, I'm going to read, I want to read a quote from Rand concerning this particular verse. Uh, concerning slaves. When, in, in our nation, when we think of slaves, we, we get a picture in our mind. We think of people being mistreated by other people. We think of, I've got to be careful how I say this, a certain person with a certain color of skin being the slave and the person with a different color of skin being the master. But it's very interesting what Rand wrote concerning slavery in that day, different than what you would think of as slavery in this day. All right, just I've got a couple paragraphs to read concerning this. Uh, by the way, um, uh, Paul being in prison in Rome, thinking about in writing this, thinking about the culture of that whole area of that day, okay? Slavery in ancient Rome was not the same as the recent slavery in early America. In America, it was racially based with individuals taken against their free will and sold for profit. It was wicked men despising others to get rich. A sad time in our country's history. Roman slavery was economically based, not racial, with an estimation of almost a third of the population considered slaves or servants. Many slaves held high positions of authority, owned homes and raised families. They were a workforce viewed much as what we call middle-class working Americans here in our country. Paul, with his emphasis on Christ-likeness, for both the slave and the master quietly undermined this social structure. Paul's goal was to emphasize Christ-like character for both the servant and the master. Christ-like character for both the servant and the master. 
So Paul was not trying to tell those um, masters within the church of Ephesus, he was not trying to tell them it was wrong for them to have slaves or servants. All right, He was very simply instructing them as to if you have slaves or servants, there is a proper and an improper way to treat that slave or servant. Okay? So servants. Now let's start with servants and then he looks at masters. But first of all, servants. Be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh. Okay? Their obedience needed to reflect their faith in God. We, some of us are still in the workforce. I say that since I retired a year and a half ago. But if you're in the workforce still, you are likely employed or an employer, one or the other. Okay, you're likely employed or an employer. Even though this is in relation to servants and, and masters, the same scenario is, as a Christian, is in relation to employers and employees. Okay, there's a right way for a Christian employer to treat his employees. There's a right way for a Christian employee to serve their employer in their workforce. Okay, so let's look at this for a minute. First, first of all, servants be obedient to them that are your masters. All right, employees be obedient to those who are your employer. What's going to happen if the, your employer gives you a job to do and you don't do it? You probably won't be employed there very long. Maybe not at all. Now, I'm going to pick on Ken a little bit. Ken, unfortunately, got laid off from his job of 23 years uh, a, few, a few months back. So he had to look for another job. And, and God wonderfully provided him one within two or three weeks. Okay? But it's something totally new that he'd never done before. And uh, he, as he was hired in this particular company, you have, you have three tests if you want to look at that. Every three months up to nine months, so three, six, and nine months, they do a evaluation of how you're doing your job. Have you gotten to the six-month yet, Ken? No, all right. So he completed the three-month. And uh, Ken came back and said, well, I went through my, my three-month evaluation, and I'm still working, so he said, I guess I did all right. Ken's got two more levels to get through. So after nine months, then the employer decides whether he has learned or done his job to the point that he will remain employed there, okay? Every company works things differently. Uh, but if you, if you get hired by a new company for something that you have never done before, usually your employer gives you a, a, a period of time that you can um, kind of, I, I guess I call it a grace period or whatever, it gives you a length of time to learn your job, all right, whether it's, whether it's you know, two months, three months, whatever it may be. But it gives you a length of time that you can learn your job before they would decide whether, yes, you are a good fit in this company or, no, you are not a good fit in this company. All right? So it's a learning, it's a learning process. And even during that time as an employee, you need to do your best to learn your job to the best of your ability to be an effective employee for your employer. Okay? If you cannot, now, there may be reasons why you cannot or are not capable of doing that job. Now, nobody wants to hire me to come in to a hospital and be a surgeon. 
if they do, I feel awful sorry for my patients. They'll be in trouble. But anyway, some people can be equipped for one position. Some people can be equipped for another kind of position. All right, but again, the, 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 the whole thought here, you need to do your best for your master as a servant. Or you need to do your best as an employee for your employer. You need to please that master. You need to please that employee. All right, and then he goes on. He says, with fear and trembling. All right, servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh. With fear and trembling. What, do you, what does he mean by this? That doesn't mean be afraid of your employer. That doesn't mean shake visually in your job. Yeah, you'll be nervous for a while. Ken, were you nervous when you started your new job? Yes, if he wasn't, that would be a problem, okay? Any one of us. I, I, um, when I started a new job after 34 years working in a sawmill, uh, I was still going to be in the lumber industry, but a different aspect of it. And the man that became my employer, I used to teach him in youth group. That made me nervous right away, okay? It was payback time, I figured, all right? But not really. But he, he wanted me to run a machine for him that I had never run before, even though it was still in the wood industry. I was nervous. Um, fortunately, it was in this slow time of year in the logging industry, you know, mud season in, in New England. Uh, you have a mud season where people in the logging industry for several weeks, usually in the spring, cannot work. All right, And at this particular time, he was going to cut a few trees around his house during this mud season. And so that was the time frame that worked out for me to try to learn to do my job. And within the first, I don't remember, the, within the first three or four days, uh, what my job entailed was, was, was running a machine with a huge saw to cut the trees to certain lengths. Within the first three or four days, I messed up, and I moved the saw in to cut the tree at the wrong time, and I actually cut into the steel beam of the machine I was running. Destroyed the saw. Well, destroyed the teeth. I think it got repairable. Three or four days, I'm trying to learn this thing, and I messed up. Well, fortunately, my employer is a Christian and a dear friend. And he didn't fire me right away. He, all right, all right, let's work through this. Well, I stuck with it, and he stuck with me for 11, almost 12 years. And praise the Lord for that. But there's a learning process no matter what you're doing. All right? So again, verse 5. With fear and trembling very simply means respect your employer, respect your master, have a reverence for them, and make every effort not to, not to offend in any way. Not to offend in any way. Then he goes on in verse 6. Not with eye service. What did he mean by that? Not with eye service. Well, you know, there are some employees that have the attitude, while the boss is watching, I'll do my best. And then when the boss is not watching, I'll slack off a little bit. That's what Paul is meaning here. Not just to please them while they're watching you. Okay, And again, if an employee goes into a job with that attitude, I'll do my best when I'm being watched. 
Otherwise, I'll slack off. Well, your boss, your employer will not take, it won't be too long before he will discover that you are not doing your best all the time. But that's what that means, not with eye service, not somebody that needs to be watched constantly, okay? Not somebody that needs to be watched constantly. As a slave or servant only is obedient while under the watchful eye of the master. And then he goes on, as men pleasers, all right, what does he mean by that? As men pleasers, only doing what is necessary to avoid punishment as a slave or to avoid being fired or demoted as a servant. One other illustration we can use, and, and in the next session we'll get into this, but many young men, even today, will enter into military service in our nation. That, that's probably the closest in this day and age you would think of a, a, a master-slave relationship. Okay, you enter into military service in our nation. During your time in service, you are basically property of the military, if you want to look at it in that way. A, a soldier cannot, cannot disobey a commanding officer's command. Or there will be dire consequences for that soldier. Okay? But it's, it's probably, again, as close as we would think of as the master-slave relationship in the military. All right? You enter in. You're, you're, you sign a contract in a sense. I'm going to serve my country in whatever it was. Army, Marines, Air Force, Navy, whatever part, whatever branch of the service. In a sense, you, you sign your life away, so to speak, for three, four years or six years or whatever, or, or a lifetime in the military. All right? But as being on the bottom rung of the ladder, every level above you is one of your commanding officers. And if any one of those commanding officers gives you a command and you don't do it, there are dire consequences in the military. All right? So again, I just look at that illustration. Not as men pleasers, not doing just what we need to to avoid punishment or to avoid being fired or demoted as a servant. Many times in the military, as you advance in, in levels of position, there may be times, either through disobedience or whatever, you get demoted. You get knocked back down a level, all right? Maybe you've reached a level of colonel or captain. Now, I was never in the military. My brother David was, and he was always good, I'm sure. There's no problem there, all right? You might get demoted. You might get knocked down a level for whatever reason. No soldier would ever want to do that, would ever want that to happen, to get demoted. All right? So not with eye service, not just when you're being washed or having to be washed constantly, not as men pleasers, all right? Not just doing the minimum you have to do to keep your job, so to speak, okay? Not only doing what is necessary to satisfy your master or boss. All right, and then he goes on, as servants, but as servants of Christ. And very simply, what he means there, we need to serve our master, our employer, in the same way that we as God's children, as his church, need to serve our God. Completely, to the best of our ability, 
okay, over and above. God will bless us over and above if we serve him over and above what is expected of us, so to speak. Go the extra mile. I'm sure you've heard that phrase. Go the extra mile in um, our relationship with our employer. We as Christians need to go the extra mile as um, children of God in relation to our Lord and Savior or our being a servant of Christ. And then, going, and then the rest, last part of verse 6, doing the will of God from the heart. All right? Not with the attitude, Lord, I'm doing this only because that's what your word tells me I'm supposed to do. Or not with the attitude, Lord, I'm not happy about this, but this is what you tell me, so I'm going to do it. Okay? God requires industry, fidelity, conscientiousness, submission, obedience. As a Christian, in whatever we are doing, we are to be serving God, and this includes serving our master or employer in the absolute best way that we are capable of. Okay? Very simply. So, in the workforce within our nation, throughout your years of work, as a Christian, this should constantly be your desire. My boss requires this of me. I'm going to do this and more if I can. Okay? I'm going to do this and more if I can. That needs to be our attitude as Christians. That needs to be our attitude as an employee to an employer. That needs to be our attitude as a child of God to God in our service for him. Okay? Maybe you have a ministry in the church. Maybe that ministry is, I don't know, um, janitor, cleaning the toilets, uh, vacuuming, whatever. Maybe that ministry is taking care of the financial part of the, of the ministry. Um, maybe that ministry is Sunday school teachers. All right, But whatever your ministry is within a local assembly, don't only do what you need to in that ministry, but do more than you need to if you can. Okay, Not only do what you need to do, but do more than you need, you need to in that ministry. Okay? Verse 7, doing the will of, uh, verse 6, doing the will of God from the heart, verse 7, with good will doing service. With good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men. All right, what does he mean by good will? Cheerfulness. Cheerfulness. Do you ever go into your job in a morning with an attitude, I don't want to be here? That's the wrong attitude, cheerfulness, okay? Do you ever have the attitude when you wake up on a Sunday morning? Oh, it's Sunday. It's church day. I'm tired. I want to stay in bed. I'm I'm not throwing fingers. I'm not pointing at anybody in particular, okay? I'm just saying if we have that attitude, that's not the right attitude. We should wake up cheerfully. This morning, it's dark out. It's raining. I don't want to go out. All right. We should be cheerful in our ministry to the Lord. Cheerful when Sunday comes along. We should look forward to Sunday to be able to attend church, to be able to serve and minister in our local assembly. So goodwill, cheerfulness, 
as to the Lord. Any service we do as an employee should be considered doing service to God. Okay? Now, Ken, he mentioned this morning, he's had opportunity, one of his fellow employees. Uh, name is Paul. Ken has had opportunity, a little opportunity, to share the gospel with Paul. Praise the Lord for that. And, and, and we pray, we want to pray for Paul, that in God's time, that this man might clearly understand that he needs salvation. He needs to have his sins forgiven. Pray for Ken as he has opportunity to continue to witness to Paul. All right? Um, but again, in our employment, we need to serve as serving to the Lord. Any service we do as an employee should be considered doing service to God. Now, fortunately, and again, there may be some employment where you are told you're not allowed to say anything by God. Praise the Lord. That's not the case. Or Ken is now working. You know, that's difficult. That's difficult if you're in that kind of a position that you are told not to share anything about the Lord. I'm going I'm to use this illustration, but our son-in-law Jim, several years ago, he's a builder, he has his own business, but several years ago work was slow for him. So he went to work for a company um, basically delivering furniture. And he would endeavor to witness to fellow employees and his boss. And he was told at some point by his boss that he was not to do that. You're not to say anything like that while you're here employed. That boss, uh, Jim hasn't worked there for quite a few years because he's had plenty of work in, in, in the building industry. But that boss passed away just a few weeks back. Massive heart attack. Jim made the comment to me a couple weeks back. I bet he's wishing now he'd listen to me. You know, it's sad when someone will cut you off like that. Sad when someone will cut you off like that. All right? So praise the Lord when we're in an employment position where we do have the liberty to be able to talk about the Lord or share the good news, the gospel message of salvation with those that we work with, or even with our employer, as the case may be. All right, um, verse 8 says, Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. All right, the good thing that any man doeth. Um, whatever a person does that is right shall be appropriately rewarded. Again, as Christians, God's going to reward us. First of all, he rewards us with an eternity in heaven with him. If we have taken that step to accept the shed blood of Jesus for payment for our sins as the only way to spend eternity with the Lord. And then, in our Christian walk with him, God's going to reward us according to what we have done in our ministry and service for him. Same thing with an employer-employee relationship. You may be in a, in a company where you could get regular promotions, uh, going up the ladder, so to speak, in your career. You may be in a company where you will receive regular promotions. The chances of receiving that promotion are much greater if you do over and above what's expected of you in that position of employment. Same thing in the military. 
A soldier standing on the bottom rung as a private or as whatever they called them in each branch of the service as, as, as beginning in the military. The more that soldier does his best and beyond, the quicker he will receive promotions in the particular branch of military he is in. All right, so it's a good thing. Whatever a person does that is right shall be appropriately rewarded, whether it's in the secular world, whether it's in secular employment, or whether it's in the spiritual world in our walk with the Lord. And then in verse 8 there, he also says, The same, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. Whether a person is bond or free, whether a person is a slave or not a slave, I guess, bond or free, that's, what, that's what's being referred to here. Whether a person is bond or free, a master or employer may not always give suitable recompense or payment. But if that servant is faithful to God, he will receive his just reward. Even as an employee, doing your best for your employer. If that employer does not acknowledge the job you're doing by rewarding you accordingly, God knows. God will still reward us if we are honoring God in our service as an employee. If we are honoring God in our service as an employee. One other quote I want to read out of Rand's uh, uh, study on this. Ephesians 6 and verse 8. Again, knowing that whatsoever good thing a man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. This is how Rand uh, uh, mentions concerning that particular verse. So Paul exhorted every servant, regardless of position, to glorify Christ by serving their current masters with a respectful heart, found in verse 5a, a whole heart, verses 5b and 6, a willing heart, verse 7, and an expectant heart, verse 8. We are all to live for Christ, just as a wife shows her love for Christ by respecting her husband, just as the husband expresses his love for Christ by loving his wife, and just as children honor God by honoring their parents. So a servant pleases his heavenly master by obeying his earthly master. So a servant pleases his heavenly master by obeying his earthly master. All right, then in verse 9, and and I'm going to finish up with this, maybe a little uh, short of our time, but that's fine. I keep you over plenty, so if I go a little less once in a while, that's great. Verse 9, ye masters. All right, now, verses 5 through 8 all have to do with the servant in relation to the master. Now he talks to the masters. All right, and ye masters. He says, do the same. Do the same things unto them. Forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven. Neither is a respect of persons with him. All right, verse 9, masters. Some in the church at Ephesus evidently were masters who were owners of slaves. Again, think back to what Rand said concerning slavery in that day. By the way, and we do know, um, again, I'm just going to touch on this, but there were many times <coughs> we see in biblical days that after a certain number of years, if you were the owner of a slave, after a certain number of years, you were, allowed, you were to allow that slave to have their freedom. Okay? And sometimes if a master treated that slave really, really well, that slave could choose 
to remain a slave for the rest of their life, a bond slave, okay? That, that slave could choose to continue to serve that master for the rest of their lives if they wanted to. And that was where the first pierced ears came into being. You say, what? And that was the sign that a servant would do. They would, they would put their ear lobe against a doorpost, and they would run that, uh, they would pierce that ear. They would use an awl, a sharp thing, and they would pierce that servant's ear as an indication that the servant wanted to remain with that master and that the master accepted that servant remaining with him. So the first pierced ear, okay? Um, but that's what it was. A servant could choose to be with his master for the rest of his life. Oh, and the master could accept that or not accept that. And that was the indication that the master accepted it. All right, so again, in verse 9, masters, obviously within the church, since Paul is dealing with this, it is evident that there were those who owned slaves within the church of Ephesus. Paul did not say that they could not be Christians and own slaves. Paul did say that the masters were required to treat their slaves in the same way that the slaves were required to treat their masters. Again there in verse 9. Forbearing threatening, or do the same things unto them. Forbearing threatening. Forbearing threatening. Okay, what does that mean? Do not mistreat those under you. Do not mistreat those under you. Do not show them reproach or criticism or accusations. Do not mistreat. Okay? That's the instruction to the masters. You are to do the same thing to your slaves as they are to do for you. Forbearing threatening. Masters were to treat their servants with the same kindness, fidelity, respect of the will of God as servants were to treat masters. They were to be faithful, conscientious, just, true to the interests of their servants. And to remember that they were, were responsible to God for how they treated their servants. In Matthew chapter 7, it talks about the golden rule. Very simply, the golden rule in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12 says, Therefore all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. Okay? How do you want to be treated? You need to treat others in the same way you want to be treated. That's what we call the golden rule. I've heard people, probably you have too, when you try to witness to them, they might say, I keep the golden rule. That's good. I treat people the way I would like to be treated. But unfortunately, they think if they keep the golden rule, that's all they need to do to be acceptable to God and to be with him for all eternity. We know that's not the case. That is a good thing to do, yes. You know, it's the same thing in every relationship. Wives and husbands. Wives, treat your husband the way you would like to be treated. Husbands, treat your wife the way you would like to be treated. Children, parents, every walk of life, the golden rule will apply, okay? But keeping the golden rule is not going to get us to heaven for all eternity. So again, forbearing, threatening, treat your servant or your employer employee as you would like to be treating. 
treated, knowing that your master also is in heaven. Neither is there respect of persons with him. Okay? Forbearing threatenings. Do not mistreat those under you. Christ-like leadership. Show Christ-like leadership. Not aggressive bullying or hostile manipulation. Not aggressive bullying or hostile manipulation. And I do want to read one more quote from Rand, and I'll close with this. This is how Rand puts it. You may ask, how does all this apply to me? Even if you are not in a position to hire people or have a job, the principles in this passage still should impact our lives today. Again, I like how the writer, Tony Merida, not someone I'm familiar with, but Tony Merida, applies this passage. We are to work through Christ, like Christ, and for Christ. We are to work through Christ, like Christ, and for Christ. Realizing that God's Spirit dwells in us, empowering us and enabling us to do His will, we must learn to work through Christ. Knowing that Jesus came to earth as a servant, worked for many years as a carpenter, washed feet, prepared food, etc. No task or duty should be beneath us. Our willingness to serve shows our desire to be like Christ. And I will close with one more illustration. Some of you know a dear gentleman, elderly gentleman, that was an evangelist in the the, uh, last number of years of his life. Dr. J.O. Percy. The last time he spoke here, I think he was 90, 91 years old. Elderly gentleman. God gave him the ability to travel all over the country to minister God's word. I remember, I don't remember exactly what the, uh, the uh, particular time frame he was here, but I remember him mentioning one time how he felt about serving the Lord. Now, God used him initially as a missionary in Africa, I think for 10 years, he and his wife. But he made the comment, if you are a servant of the Lord as God wants you to be, you should be willing to serve in any capacity. And this man was a great Bible teacher. God used him tremendously. But he made the comment, if I'm somewhere and I see a toilet needs cleaning, he said, I'm going to clean the toilet. Don't think any area of ministry is below what you should be willing to do. And that's just very simply, that has stuck with me, very simply. If you can be used to serve no matter what capacity it is in, You should have the heart attitude to serve. Jesus, the creator of mankind, stooped to wash his disciples' feet. And and what better example can there be for any of us that we need to be willing to stoop to do the least pleasant job, if you want to think of it in that way. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I do thank you again. I think of the marvelous way you used Paul. Lord, a man that was put into a prison, not a nice place. The Bible refers to it as a dungeon that was filthy. Many times these dungeons were were old wells that though there was no water in them, had a lot of mud in the bottom. Very unpleasant circumstances. And yet, Lord, I believe you arranged for Paul to be put in that prison 
so that he would be able to write many of these letters, many of these epistles to churches, to believers, to challenge them, to encourage them. And you saw fit to keep those in your word to challenge and encourage us in our walk with you as well. So Lord, I thank you for that. Though Paul's circumstances were very unpleasant for him personally, it gave him the time to encourage fellow believers that maybe were struggling (coughs) with certain sin areas in their life. It gave him the time to be used of you in a marvelous way. So Lord, I believe it was of your doing that Paul was put in those prisons at different times because you had a different ministry for him. And that ministry is still beneficial even to us today. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.